Hello and welcome to episode number 246, Armin Show Podcast. We are in the place to be. I'm here with none other than Larry Ruggiero and Crystal Ruggiero. This episode will be with Larry Ruggiero. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Glad to have you on here. Now, here. this is the best thing ever. We are in the coolest cabin location in Ojai. First off, how do you all like Ojai? It's pretty lovely. It's a pretty nice place, especially this time of year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really enjoy this time of year. Yeah, me too. It's very autumnal. Now, because, Crystal, you will not be joining us for most of the episode with Larry, tell me, this is we haven't had Crystal on before. Now, Crystal, you know of past guest Erica. How do you know each other? She is my offspring. Mm-hmm. She's your offspring? Yes. Mm-hmm. I designed her and made her. You designed her and yeah. made her? Yeah. And um, how has your linkage been over the years? Do you see similarities? What do you think about that nutritionist, though? I think that that's a, a great place to be right now. Um, so I'm really proud of her to be in that uh, field. And I'd say that our time together has been pretty wonderful. This is a good thing. Yes, that was on episode, I have no clue, but 200-something. Mm-hmm. Erica Smooth, communicability. Mm-hmm. There's a trend I've noticed in families of sorts that when there's one or two that communicate well, pretty much everybody communicates well, it passes on. Have you always had a good communication skill, which we will see in Larry as well? <laughs> I would say communication skills are always uh, increasing and growing. They're mm-hmm. always developing over time. So I would say, yeah, we have pretty good communication, but it can always be improved. Mm-hmm. Were you good at emoting your feelings early on when you were like 10? Or did that develop over time, by the way? Yeah, I think that that probably did develop over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a great Still thing. developing. Yeah. It always is, right? Yeah. There's no time limit to these things. No. Which is kind of cool. Now, how do you know of Larry, who is the wonderful guest for this episode? Ah, Larry. Uh, I've known Larry for, um, I guess, about 20 years now. Mm-hmm. And um, we met one day at work. That's cool. And we've been together since. This is a wonderful thing. Y'all are together. You have the same last name. <laughs> I guess this. I guess this. Joke. Joke. <laughs> that's wonderful. That's cool. And, and that's how it all worked out. We right. were like, it's meant to be. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no. <laughs> Actually, related to that, i got to throw in this little thing. I had a past guest named Raina. She is currently with somebody named Rainiel. If that wasn't because something Raina related. Raina Raina and Rainiel. Oh, that's I'm pretty sure they, it was something oh, name-based. I got a baby named Rain. I love it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You've set up their future. I'm setting up right We're now. setting up futures on the show, which is a nice feature. This is a great thing. I'll just have you now potentially sing or just describe an intro handoff to Larry for the rest of the episode. Oh, that's I mean, fun. if you want to sing, that's fine. Or it could just be a verbal handoff to Larry Ruggiero. Or it could be, you know, I'll just I'm going to go my- with what comes natural. Okay, great. Singing. And here's Larry. Oh, man. We can't top that. Thank you for being on here, Crystal. No, Crystal Ruggiero, everybody. Thank this you. is thank the you, best. Honey, thank for the great introduction. Oof. Bye, everybody. Number one right there. Oh, man. We don't get those that often. That's not going to happen. Larry, glad to have you on the program. Very happy to be here. What a intro right there. Yeah, I've never seen it before. Right? I haven't seen it before, too. <laughs> Frankly, I'm starting to think now. i got to get it. That's award-winning. Bring it on to the future. Larry, tell us, because we will be discussing some about what you do and whatnot, what would you describe your title as, where's the place you currently work, and then we'll go back into some of your history. Okay. 
Uh, my title is uh, Director of Business Operations and Strategy for a company called Engie. Mm -hmm. If you can hold it closer, also. Yeah. And Engie uh, uh, is a multinational energy company. Mm -hmm. uh, the unique thing about it is it's trying to move 100% to carbon free. Oh. So I work for a small little group um, that does wind energy in the United States. So we mm -hmm. develop and build and operate wind energy projects in the United States. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you always been in sustainable power, wind power specifically, or has there been other fields you've been in? Uh, others. I started in uh, environmental compliance. Mm -hmm. yeah, I've always been in kind of the environmental arena. The whole time? The whole time. Mm -hmm. um, and I started in environmental compliance, did that for about eight, nine years. And I kind of, at a point, I looked at it, and I kind of looked at it as I was fixing problems after they had already occurred, mm -hmm. kind of at the back end, tailpipe. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to get in front of that as much as possible, so did some more education and went back to grad school and kind of focused on this idea of sustainability. This is back in the mid-'90s. So it was just kind of an early, it had a component of industrial ecology, Mm -hmm. And then sustainability, I left that, and the intent was to go work for a business that we, you could use the power of business to lessen your impacts and potentially even develop sustainable business practices. Mm -hmm. And then in that, in that role, that's when I got introduced to energy mm -hmm. and really found that very interesting and saw the big impact that energy had in a company. And this was not a manufacturer. It was a retailer. Oh. And then kind of parlayed that into actually going into took it a step further and tried can I can I get involved in the production of renewable energy and so back in 08 so a little over 12 years ago mm -hmm. went back and kind of did a career shift and did re started renewable energy again it was in the wind side oh yeah so it's always been more wind oriented in a way it has I haven't really except for our home mm -hmm. put solar on our home oh cool I haven't haven't really been in the uh, solar side Makes sense. Yeah. It's always good to be specific in any category. I've talked about that a few times, that all the value is in high specificity in some form. And it's hard. I mean, it's just it's doing the one is just really hard. It's a lot of moving parts. And, yeah, I couldn't imagine trying to be – yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. You went to the institution known as Yale University. What was your experience like there? Is that what led you into environmental affairs or were you interested in it before then? Uh, so, yeah, I went to Yale un as a, a graduate program. Mm -hmm. And that was, um, it was at that point that I, I'd already come out of college. I had a biology degree, but I'd, I'd already started working in the environmental field. And the intent around it was, like, I, I knew I wanted to try to do something that I was, it was beneficial to mankind, to society. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, being involved in environmental issues because the environment impacts every living thing. Mm -hmm. And if there was some way that I could help improve those conditions. Mm -hmm. So that kind of got me into the environmental compliance arena. But it just, again, I, I read a book. It was actually called The Ecology of Commerce. Oh. And it uh, really moved me in regards to kind of looking, broadening my lens and looking kind of upstream. Like mm -hmm. what could you do before the pollutant came out of the end of the pipe? So that then opened my eyes, and I looked at graduate programs, and there was a program back in, at Yale. It was around industrial ecology is what it was called at that time. And I went back there and focused it, and it was, it was a wonderful experience. Um, the best part about it is I waited until I was kind of 
early 30s before I went back to grad school. Mm-hmm. And it was more perspective. More perspective, and it was actually much easier than the work I was doing. Oh. I found I had so much. It wasn't that I had free time. I just had my time. Mm-hmm. And I could use it as I want, and I could apply it to things I want. And I didn't feel the pressure of work. I felt like I was actually learning things that I was choosing to learn. And I don't think I would have got that same ex- – I definitely didn't get that same experience in college. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I would have got it if I would have come right out of maybe a couple of years of work and then gone back to grad school. Mm-hmm. So it did shape me. Yeah, definitely. Right. And then I like that you mentioned that's graduate school because before that, what is the, the institution of higher learning did you go to before Yale? I went to UCSB. Best school ever. I was there. It's great. <laughs> go gotcha. It's a great place. Yeah. Nice feeling there. And uh, so when you were at UCSB, did you already think environmentally or not at all? No, it's, I was actually thinking about going to med school. Mm-hmm. In my junior year, I started studying for the MCATs, taking the Kaplan tests. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was just like, Nah. And I actually, the, the summer before, I had worked in as a nurse's aide mm-hmm. in a convalescent home just oh. to kind of get exposure and start to get into. And it really was, it was a great experience. One of, one of the best jobs I've ever had. And uh, it just really shaped me in regards to not wanting to do that. Nice. And so, yeah, I, I started studying for the Kaplan. So I'm like, I don't have energy around this. This is not what I, I want to do. And um, I just, I, I still didn't know what I wanted to do coming out of college, which is not unusual, I don't think. But right. um, I just left myself open. I knew I wanted, you know, finish the degree in the sciences, and I was focused on biology. So I said, keep doing that. You know, I was doing more microbiology and genetics because I thought maybe I'd do something in that area. But mm-hmm. ultimately, uh, you know, just graduated at the time, not sure what I was going to do. Yeah. There's one nice thing there you say because you figured out what you didn't want to do in the extended term. That's very valuable early on because then yeah. you don't spend three years, four years preparing for something that eventually you would have had the same feeling once you went right. into it. Right. Very valuable to try things. No, I agree. I think that's anything. Just try it. Get out there. It opens up to people, things, other things that you would not have expected mm-hmm. if, you don't, if you don't engage. Right. Yeah. Did you also get any insights of like a uh, long-term view from people in the convalescent home? At all or not really? Uh, that's a good question. I definitely had moments of conversations with people. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, you think convalescent homes are elderly people, there, but there's actually, there'll be some disabled folks that that's where they end up. And so oh. I, there was actually a gentleman there that had uh, French polio and had, he had a number of, conver- he was probably, he's older than me, but maybe mid-30s. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I had a lot of conversations with him from his perspective that I think, you know, or I, I recall as being, you know, not moving, but at least it kind of made me think about, you know, what am I doing and, and what could happen to me and the preciousness of life, I would say also. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, it was, just, it was just interesting in the fact that people there were in all different shapes and sizes by the time they had ended up there, and some were very... Um, cognitive and aware and some were not some were just really children again right and uh, so that that kind of experience just recognize you you don't really know what life has laid out for you and it doesn't necessarily some people were angry and some people were just giggling every day that makes sense yeah I had a nursing student they had like a 
kind of homes next to each other and they had two homes for like it was like a nursing home and i came in a couple times when there was like uh, they brought snacks for them or something and uh, some were just kind of they would listen to the music and they were in kind of like a daze if you will some yeah. were a little bit more talkative or playful it was di- completely different each one yeah yeah it was nice to see but also you could see like um individuals in some sort of limited form and then it reminds you when you have more ability you could be doing a bunch of things so definitely yeah definitely comparatively so in your current organization yeah what are some of the things you do like day to day and or week to week hmm. uh my job focuses on really we we develop projects and we get the financing for the projects and then we actually construct them mm-hmm. and i don't do any of those things uh, I do everything kind of behind the scenes that allows those things to happen. Mm-hmm. So I integrate a lot with our corporate office and all the different functions that you can think of in a company from IT, HR, um, operations, the people that operate the plant, mm-hmm. uh, legal, uh, financing, and try to move data kind of between us and them so that they understand how things are progressing for us mm-hmm. and, and really develop processes that ensure that we operate within the bounds that we're expected to within the, the larger corporation mm-hmm. and in an efficient manner. And then also, like, and I've done this all of my, most of my career, mm-hmm. try to keep the stuff that impacts people from focusing on their core competency from impacting them. Oh. Like, let me take that off your plate because you're really good at developing a project or mm-hmm. you're really good at getting um, a power purchase agreement, mm-hmm. which are all key things that need to happen in order for a project to get built. I'll take care of those things and we'll make sure that they get addressed. You focus on those things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think from I, I always I try to like equate it to something from a sports perspective. I'm not a quarterback. I'm kind of some guy on the sideline with a mic on you know, or uh, headphones on. Yeah, trying to direct things and make sure that people, you know, the play goes well, but I'm not running the play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The good one thing about that, it makes me think, like at 60 years old, could you see you like the certain feature of, let's say, managing people from a distance or 10, 15 years old? Was there a point where you realized I like this versus like doing the thing? No, I don't know if I, it's interesting because I don't know if I, it's not that I, don't like it i think i prior when i was doing wind initially i did more of the thing i was more on the field if Mm -hmm. you will i just think this is the role that i can provide the most value as i came into this organization because i i was a little more detail i was in wind for about five years Mm -hmm. the company that i was working for actually had to close down and a lot of the people that i work with now work there um, they w- yeah, they went over to and started up uh, another company. Them and others started up another company, and I joined them. Uh, I think three, four years later. Mm-hmm. And in in the interim, I kind of went back to environmental compliance stuff, mm-hmm. but then uh, went back to to win. And I just think that you know they needed. They were just acquired by this large company, and they needed somebody that kind of had that operational experience. And here's an interesting thing: when you do, when I. My role, uh, you know, for most of my profession has been either running groups, running operational groups on the compliance side, or working under kind of corporate sustainability. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing corporate sustainability, you have to touch 
every functional group within a corporation. And so I've gotten knowledge and visibility to a lot of different entities within a company and how it works, you know, sourcing and procurement versus uh, IT, uh, which I'm not an IT person, but I, I help, help that from a functional perspective happen from the corporate level down to our actual office and operations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just happened to have that type of visibility mm-hmm. and that gave me an opportunity to kind of apply that here even though pr- previously when I was in wind, I was more, you know, running the plays or part of the plays. That's cool. Yeah. Now in wind power right now, what are the main ways that wind power is utilized in corporations? Uh, well, the main way it's, it's utilized is it's actually put on the grid. Mm-hmm. Um, little wind, wind 101, if, mm-hmm. you, if you want. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they don't know. They just don't know <laughs> about yeah. it. Yeah, no, it's, it wins very interesting. A um, couple things. So we we build, you know, plants in the United States. If you think about, um, there's a there's an energy unit right at McGrath Beach in Ventura. It's a big plant. Okay. And it's uh, it's natural gas fired. So, and I don't know this, but I'm going to guess it's probably 250 to 300 megawatts. Ah. Okay. That plant. You think okay. like a just big plant mm-hmm. that you think about, you know, with smokestacks and yep. all that. Uh, wind plants now are probably somewhere between, in most cases, they're going to be uh, 100 to 300 megawatts. Oh, okay, so, so we're, pretty comparable. Yeah, pretty comparable. Now, they don't run all day like a gas plant, and a gas plant doesn't run all day either. But um, the, So the capacity factor or how often they're running is, is going to be lower. But, but that's what we're building, like big industrial huh. infrastructure. Um, and so... We actually connect into, you know, you would think of it as the transmission grid, mm-hmm. okay? not the lines that you see running around your neighborhood, mm-hmm. the big high voltage power lines mm-hmm. what we connect into. And that energy goes out on the transmission system and ultimately trickles down into the local utility. So we're building utility scale wind projects. Huh. Um, you know, I, I think our largest that we plan to build in 19 and 20 is 300 megawatts. Oh. The smallest we build was 30 megawatts. I still? Yeah. And so it, it and, and most of them are on that law, that bigger end. Mm-hmm. But when you're, when people are talking about wind in the United States, they're talking about bigging, you know, building four, uh, 200 to 400 megawatt large plants. Um, and, but it's going into the transmission system and you might be selling it to a utility mm-hmm. or you might be actually now the new thing is companies are buying the power. Mm-hmm. So Google, Facebook, uh, Target, T-Mobile, you know, these guys are buying lots of renewable energy now because it's part of their sustainable oh, mission. Yeah. And they don't, they don't actually receive that electron that we produce at our plant. <laughs> I like that routed, You know, it doesn't get routed mm-hmm. to, their, to their facilities. But financially, there's a transaction that's occurring that they are accountable for that electron that we produce. I like that you mentioned it that way because I can think about it that way. Like you produce that, other people produce it, and at some point they get power, yeah. and a percentage that the same percentage that you produce gets to. It's kind. Of, I think a good image is think of a bunch of streams uh-huh. that are going into a reservoir. Yeah, and that reservoir is then pulled by the utility. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I like that it's comparable. For some reason in my mind, I was thinking of lower megawatt numbers compared to an average plant, but if it's like that, what's the average way the wind is made? What's the most common ways that it's wind energy is absorbed? 
currently? Uh, is it like, are we talking turbines? Oh, is yeah, that the no, main? It's all. Is that only? It's only turbines. There are, so there are utility scale wind are, are only the, you know, the traditional wind turbines that you, you would see. Mm-hmm. Okay. There are um, like homes or small farms or small, like that might be, you know, somewhere between 50 and 100 kilowatts, mm-hmm. not megawatts of kilowatts. Mm-hmm. And those will be on people's private land. Yeah. And you will see some of these where instead of having a horizontal axis, you have a vertical axis. It looks like an egg beater, people mm-hmm. will call them. Uh-huh. Those are used, but they're not as efficient um, or as economical. And so you never see those really on utility scale uh-huh. projects. So like on the way to San Francisco, close to there, there's like a, on the hills, there's these big wind turbines. Is yeah. there like a listing of, like do you have like a map of where all the turbi- turbines yeah, are in yeah. California? In the United States. In the United States. Yeah, it's a power, you know, you got to think of it like, these things are regulated by federal agencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're overseen by regional right. operating systems. And so they know where every producing plant is and mm-hmm. to some extent to where every producing uh, turbine is. The ones that you're talking about are up by Altamont Pass. And those, you'll see up there, a lot of those are, you know, late 70s, early oh. 80s. And they're actually coming through and those those are much different turbines than what we're talking about now. Those might be a hundred kW turbines. Oh, whereas we put up a turbine now that's three megawatts. Wow. Yeah. So uh, you know. Thirty x. Yeah. So so significantly significantly different, and the, there's this repowering effort that will go on where those hundred kW turbines are going to come down, and they're going to put up. They'll take down, you know, thirty of them, mm-hmm. and they'll put up, you know, one or two of the three megawatt turbines what is the biggest difference between the 100k watt turbine turbine and then the three megawatt one like what's the difference the biggest thing the biggest difference are are tower height uh-huh so those are probably it i don't know this i'm going to say 30 meters maybe and we're now putting up turbines at 80 to 90 meters Whoa. so the hub is sitting that high oh and then the second biggest difference is the rotor diameter uh so those rotor diameters, um, again, I, I don't know that technology because I haven't been to see it's, you know, the diameter is 30 meters mm-hmm. and the diameters we're putting up now are 120, 130 meters. Oh. Yeah. Huge. Way bigger. So, so think, think of, a, of a single blade, you know, rolling down a highway that's 65 meters long. Man. Yeah. You can stand, you can stand inside of it. Huge. Huge. Where are some of these, like, where's the closest one to where we are right now, where these are? Is uh, there any? You can see out in Tehachapi. Okay. There's probably two, two to two and a half, three megawatt turbines out there. Oh, cool. Um, it's in California. Mm-hmm. Um, they've up in Rio Vista uh, and that whole kind of Altamont and, the, and where the Delta gap is, there's uh, megawatt-sized turbines that are starting to go up there, too. Which state in the United States is the best state for turbines? Um, or which in, region? In, from what perspective? If you want to look at month, how much energy is produced from yes. turbines as a percent of total energy, yes. what do you think? I'm going to guess somewhere it's super windy. I'll just go with East Coast. I have no idea. I'm going to say Maryland. I don't know where that is exactly. Uh, I believe the answer is Iowa. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Now, who, it didn't now, have to be on the yeah. coast. But they don't have as big of an energy load. Mm-hmm. But a lot of winds right through the middle of the country. Okay. Uh. And and but the most production is coming out of Texas by far. 
Huh. Yeah. Is that because it's windy? It's windy. A lot of windy in the west, in you know, West Texas. Huh. A lot of wind. It's just a lot of wind in Texas. If in Iowa, Iowa. Yeah. There's a lot of production. Is that easily transferable to places where it's needed, or is that very difficult? No, I mean it, that's your high voltage system yeah, yeah. Will, will move power for you. So they yeah. could just use it's, Iowa. It's not easy. You're not sending. You know, uh, there are attempts to send power from the Midwest to the East. Mm -hmm. I think. I think, um, if I recall correctly, um, I'm trying to think of the Tennessee Valley Authority mm -hmm. has purchased some wind out of the Midwest, mm -hmm. and that has been transmitted that way. But that's that would be. What the United States needs, actually, and we probably will get there sometime, is a more developed transmission system where you could pull and move power across much larger areas. And there's, you know, there's a number of projects that people are trying to get financed. There's one in Wyoming to try to bring a lot of wind from Wyoming to Southern California, mm. you know, through a, you know, a dedicated transmission system. And that's just one example of, of many. There's huh. a great book. Um, I can't remember the name of it right now. It's David Scully, um, and it was about he tried to. He it was his efforts to build these clean lines, and you know, just the madness behind the idea, but how much effort they put into it, and some of them still live on. Mm -hmm. But um, it, it's it's really going to be required for this country to really uh, have renewable energy get to something like a, you know, sixty, seventy percent, eighty. 100% of our power. It's not going to happen unless we connect our various grids throughout the country. Hmm. What percent of the United States power right now comes from wind energy? Uh, I should have looked at <laughs> I'm going to say it's probably around 8 or 9%. Oh. Yeah. I think I think solar's at 2 or 3 and I think that's with hmm. a rooftop. And I, I you know, I see, I do see the numbers all the time. I find it very I find it fascinating. Like I got a really I, I'm a I'm a wonk and a junkie around anything that has to do with renewable energy, and I do look at the data. But it just comes from so many different places, and I do think that number is about right. Um, I think, and I think that if you look at all renewables in the United States in 2019, so that's that's hydro, that's geothermal, wind, solar biomass there's probably a couple other things in there um i think that we're you know somewhere around 23 24 percent that's pretty high it's pretty good it's not bad so, uh, hydro being hydro being the biggest mm -hmm. um there's projections that this year in 2020 or 2021 for the first time ever uh, renewables will the, the energy generated by, by renewables will exceed coal oh that is a turning moment. Yeah. And natural gas would still be greater than renewables. And, and the thing is, uh, I was talking about this just the other day. I mean, there's a lot of activity going on in renewables in regards to wind and solar. And you see it every day. You hear announcements. You hear companies buying renewable power. But uh, we use so much energy, and our grid is so big that we're just it, the needle is just moving so slowly. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's hard to believe, you know, but but it is moving. It, it, it is moving. And the other thing is, is it's becoming it is it is in many places in the United States. You cannot produce power cheaper than with renewables. 
Oh. Know, it depends upon the wind regime and, and the, uh, you know, the sun, uh, the, the conditions around solar. Mm-hmm. But uh, you, can, you could not build a gas fire plant and operate it for less than you could build a solar or a wind plant. It's first time. It took a while. Wind's been there a little while. Mm-hmm. Solar's not there. And it's not everywhere. But it, it's just a matter. I mean, these are technologies. You have to think of it like your computer or phone. It's just getting better. The right. technology around, uh, you know, a gas-fired turbine is kind of squeezed all the technology out of it that you're going to get. So you're mm-hmm. not going to get any more efficiencies out of it from an economic perspective. What is the hardest thing about getting turbines up in a location? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's hard. I mean, it, 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 these are, you know, multi-hundred million dollar infrastructure projects. So it's hard just to get the you know you know that you're picking conditions land on the ground conditions where the soil will allow for the turbine to be functionally stable. Okay, it's hard uh, lifting these three part t- towers, you know, with these cranes that you cannot even imagine the size of these cranes that they have to lift these, you know, these steel tubes and set them on you know just building it is hard it's hard to get the someone to buy the power that recognizes the cost it takes to build and to develop the project so that you can get someone to finance the project it's really hard to get the projects financed because it, you know it, you you need somebody that can there's a tax incentive that's associated with building uh, grid scale wind and solar projects, and you have to find people that can use that tax credit. I mean, it just, you can't imagine, people, and this is not just for wind, but any large infrastructure project, highway building, you know, you you name it, a, Mm -hmm. a wastewater plant, it's hard. People don't understand how much it takes to make those things happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just don't. You just you have to be in it. it takes uh, you know two dozen lawyers, four banks, you know dozens of engineers, and a lot of people that care mm-hmm. that have really high skills in very you know specific areas and some long term thinking. Yeah, yeah, and I mean our projects. We have projects. We we uh, turned on a project last year. It took ten years from start to finish. Right. I mean, and that just and it's not you know it's not this smooth up ramp. Right. It's up down you know below zero highs. You know it's yeah. We it, got it. We're about to no. We're not development. Any type of development like that, private or public, it's mm-hmm. just it, it really is. You know, um, people just expect their lights to turn on, their water to run, and there's just a lot of work that goes on behind that that people generally don't get exposed to, and that's that to me that's I find that. I get it, I really get a front seat to that. Not, you know, I get I get probably you know uh, fifth row seat. Huh? <laughs> yeah. So, and you know, other people on our team have front row seats, but it's it really is just amazing what it takes. And and people that are in the industry, I can see on the wind side, and I'm sure it's the same on solar. I mean, they really care. We were there for a purpose. And the company I work for, uh, our mission is zero carbon. I mean, that's where they were a power producer that had coal plants, still do. We still have some natural gas plants. 
And our, you know, no, we're, we're shutting those down and we're going to bring hydrogen in as a fuel source and we're going to have renewable energy sources and we're going to help people use less energy or use it when, you know, store it and use it when they need to use it. And I think that's, you know, people that are doing that, like we, we feel like we're on a mission. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a purpose and that is, you know, I, that's the best thing I think about what I'm doing right now for me personally. And I think it is true for a lot of folks that are in this industry. Mm-hmm. That's something you can, whenever you have a purpose in life, it makes sense. Like a bigger thing over there, Yeah, you can, there's like a surge of energy. If you don't have that, you, it just doesn't work. If you do have that, you have a vision, you're like, I'm getting there. Your natural instincts come alive. You're like, we have to make this work. The first thing you have to put front and center is uh, carbon zero because obviously there's going to be money lost at some parts, but people have to be like, okay, this right. is a bigger thing for later. Right. It's not light-natured. It takes long-term perspective. Carbon zero. Now, uh, I saw this one thing where you talked about carbon neutral versus carbon free, like people where they would clear it off to zero. So yours would be, the goal would be to put out no carbon at all from the start or... No, to undo any carbon I mean, that you did old, put out. No, it's to get to a point where we have, mm-hmm. you know, the mission is to try to get people to to the point or try to get society mm-hmm. to a point where our carbon emissions are reduced to zero, carbon-free emissions or mm-hmm. carbon-free energy. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that's decades away. Yeah. Okay. And, but what we're doing today is okay if we're going to put something on the grid that's going to produce energy let's have it be carbon free mm-hmm. okay if we are going to help people manage their energy let's figure out how they can conserve it mm-hmm. um or can we put solar on top of the rooftop you know, we have various you know various services and different groups that can provide things towards that mission mm-hmm. um one thing i'm not involved with at all but it's i think it's really Futuristic, and but it's going to happen is you know move away from natural gas and move towards hydrogen as a fuel source, and can you produce that hydrogen potentially from carbon sources, but you use renewable energy to produce the hydrogen that you oh. ultimately use as fuel source. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean it's going to be, you know, we're, you know we have a long, you know, we'll be we'll carry on long after. I'm gone, mm-hmm. but you know, right now, what we know we can do, and what we're a part of, is is trying to put energy on that's not producing carbon. But you know, I'll, I I say it in in some of our company meetings, how much carbon is sunk into the concrete that we put in our foundations, right? Because it took a lot of carbon to produce that Portland cement, mm-hmm. and we have to think about it. it. Took a lot of carbon to get those towers to our wind farm that mm-hmm. we're going to put up takes a lot of diesel in those cranes now we're so we're it's not like we're we are not you know we are not innocent in this and we recognize that but maybe someday we'll have electric cranes you know someday we'll there are carbon absorption cements that are now available so you know we have to look at that too and not just be we don't just feel like okay we can put this carbon free energy on it that's we have to do that that's really core but we can even extend it out further into our supply chain and, and we're not, we're actually, I would say, behind in that. And I would say most manufacturers are kind of, you know, are behind in that. But there are a lot of companies that are really looking at that and pushing down that requirement to try to remove carbon from their supply chain. Uh, yeah. I've noticed that in any category, you have to pull 
and go into sometimes the thing that you're not really supporting uh, to get enough energy or such to push your thing. Or like Amazon had to build their company from Google ads. They have to use Google and advertising to get to right. their, you have to sometimes use what, where the energy already is and then adjust it towards right. a new. Right. Uh, Walmart's been great at that actually. And I'm not, not, not you know a fan of Walmart or anything or opponent to them, but they really took the fact that they could command low pricing. They were great at supply chain negotiation. Mm-hmm. And, they said, and they said, yep. And then they said, okay, we're gonna add item number 13 on your to-do list is reduce your carbon footprint on the products that you're giving to us. You know, en- enhance your labor practices, whatever you you know, whatever it is they wanna do from a cor- corporate social responsibility perspective. Um, and, and I think Amazon's a good example too. I mean, Amazon's now saying, you know, they, they use Google ads to become Prop profitable, company, yeah. and then that, now they have uh, Amazon Web Services, which is making them really profitable. Now they're turning around and they're saying to you know companies, "Hey, we want we want a hundred thousand electric delivery vehicles." Oh, all right, yeah. I mean, it's no different. It's just like leveraging your network and your. It's reaching beyond your boundaries, and they do it every day anyway. Because mm-hmm. you know they they do it for that's the challenge. Like businesses, they always look at things you know kind of around the core. What is it that we do? And and now, and I really think this is happening. Mm-hmm. And it's and I can say this because I started I started doing this corporate social responsibility back in the mid nineties. Mm-hmm. With a lot of good people that were really passionate about this, but we were always kind of outside the core of the business. If you're a Patagonia. And even something like or Penn and Jerry's back then, mm-hmm. you probably had it in your core. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, you're, we were these guys like fighting on the outside, you know, on the outside of the wall, trying to th- lob stuff in to make things change on the corporate function. And I think the real migration that's occurred mm-hmm. is that businesses are now actually saying, okay, this is core to us. And frankly, you're seeing the financial community, the investment community saying, yeah, you need to make this core. Mm-hmm. We need to understand what what are your risks associated with climate change, mm-hmm. and I think it's 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 been I mean literally you know, I don't know about fourteen years later mm-hmm. twenty four years later mm-hmm. twenty four years later it's it's you're starting to see this you're starting to see and not even really starting to see you're starting to see movement like mm-hmm. you're seeing is it uh, Larry Fink of uh, Blackwater, he just came out with his annual letter. Mm-hmm. These guys managed $5 trillion worth of investments. Mm-hmm. $5 trillion. That's two-thirds of Spain. And they're like, uh, we are going to put environmental, social, and governance top and center on wh- where we decide to invest on our non-passive funds. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that is someone stepping out and saying, like, this is, we're not going to invest in you if you have, carbon, if you have climate risks. Or have a way to mitigate those going forward. Mm-hmm. You, you should read his new. You should read his annual letter. I mean, it's really for for a fund that is managing that much money mm-hmm. for them to actually be saying that. For me to read that, to, you know, yesterday and to think back twenty four years ago, I it, it actually shows progress uh, from my perspective. That's encouraging. One thing you say there, by the way, twenty four years ago. Uh, renewable power getting to 24%. In a recent book I read, once something gets to 25% of people doing it, it hits a tipping point where suddenly everybody wants to join in. Yeah. 
So that might be the case with renewable energy right now because they did experiments where anytime there was 25% of a group started to do some movement or spoke in a certain way, everybody would just think that was the thing. Yeah. And they'd go with it. So it might be hitting that currently. No, there's no, there's no economically and kind of pol- there's a little policy pushback here and there, but yeah, we are going to renewable energy yeah. in this country. There's just no doubt about it. There's going to be a bridge with natural gas. Um, there's going to have to be a debate around nuclear. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that there's no stop. It, it's just from an economic and technological perspective, mm-hmm. it is the solution. I haven't, I've never ridden in a, in a electric car, mm-hmm. but I've heard, and, and I think most people that have an electric car are probably, they're, they're leading edge. They're maybe lost right. leaders. Those, they're going to be the people they're going to do- adopt first. Right. And so they're going to be a little crazed about it, like they like they're going to really support it. Which uh-huh. I, I would love to have an electric car. I just don't. I have a, I don't know, a twenty year old car, car instead. Great. And so I I think they look at that car and they're like, I am never buying an internal combustion car again. I don't change oil. Mm-hmm. I you know it, this thing is a it's if you have a Tesla, you're basically driving an iPhone. Yeah. You know, and it's and and people are like I would never. I mean, that that's a buggy, right? Uh, you want me to go get back in a buggy? That's true. And I think that you're going to see that in a lot of things that will have greater sustainable uh, outcomes, uh-huh. and people there will be these tipping points. And, and I don't know if Tesla will make it or be the one, mm-hmm. but I do think that that uh, things like electric car and renewable energy, yeah, I think people will ultimately. They'll see that that's where we're going, and it's here's the thing. Like, it is going to hurt people. Mm -hmm. It's going to hurt people that 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 mine for coal. Right. It's going to hurt people that are working at the coal fire power plant. Mm -hmm. And we can't lose sight of that. We have to. We have to stand in the position of those people and their life, and and what and we have to as a society. We got to figure out. Okay, what are we going to do about that? Because mm-hmm. because renewables isn't a, or electric cars or whatever is not a is not a silver bullet. You're gonna have these impacts, and we have to be thoughtful about the fact that there's a lot of people mm-hmm. that are not gonna be part of that. And how do we bring them into that in a way that is beneficial to them? This is true. One of the books I had read, I read Emotional Intelligence by Daniel Goleman. Then he wrote he wrote Social Intelligence, but also later he wrote Ecological intelligence which was neat because it was a deviation from his normal psychology related thing and it gets you in ecological thinking and then recently i interviewed an author about physical intelligence there's so many kinds of intelligences right but uh ecologically a recent report i think it was like three days ago said that the top five issues this might have been un for the next 10 years for humanity were all environmental whereas like 10 years ago I think two or three of them were environmental, and then 10 years before that, even less. Mm-hmm. But the top five for the next 10 years are environmental. What do you think about that as far as humanity ongoing environmentally? As I check the camera, make sure it's recording. But what do you think about that? Um, I think uh, there's a lot of things, I think. When you were saying that, I just recognize, you know, I, I am not the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, my generation is not the future. Right. And we had our shot. We we get we're in the late innings, mm-hmm. and uh, I do think that the I think that that the young people 
that are coming up today and they are go the people that will ultimately possess power in our society mm -hmm. have a different perspective and it aligns with those five things. Okay, I don't even know what they are, but, it, but it, I'm sure that they have a much more, uh, a deeper f relationship and understanding around those five things. And here's the thing, they don't have to, they know that they don't want to go work in a coal mine because mm -hmm. they, they understand how that, not because it's bad or not good work or anything like that. It's because they understand that's not really what's going to be, we can't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. Like that's, we're done doing that. So I'm not going to focus on doing that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And so they, so why, so th that idea of having to address climate change mm -hmm. to them is like, yeah, oh yeah, okay, uh, I'm going to have to do that because I, I understand, I'm aware, and so I'm not going to try to, I'm not going to recognize I have to uh, identify or address climate change and then go work in an industry that is impacting climate change. Right. Like that's not where I'm going to, you know, probably put most of my energy into. Now maybe I'll go work for that industry and I'll figure out how to capture carbon and, and do things of that nature but they're doing it because that but that's one of the five things that they understand that they're going to have to address mm -hmm. uh, you know i i wouldn't say you know I, one of my detriments in life is i i'm probably not an optimist mm -hmm. you know i think optimists are great and uh i think they they do you think act, they're delusional no no I, I think they're great i just not how um there's i'm just not how i'm wired i'm just you know, I, i'll accept that for who I am. Mm -hmm. And I think though that it's optimists that ultimately make the world happen in a way that is beneficial for everybody. And I think that, that I'm optimistic about the fact that people are now moving into the economy. They're now moving into positions of power. They have a different perspective than my generation does. Mm -hmm. And they're optimistic about their ability to address those things. Now, is there do they see things and are there dire things that they read about every day? Yeah. Um, I do believe the world is a better place than it was 24 years ago. Mm -hmm. I do. I do believe that. I think, you know, I think there's statistics that will demonstrate that people are living longer and they're healthier and pe more people have access to food and clean water and there's less wars, believe it or not. Right. Um, Most peaceful time ever. Right. It, but I, I, and I, and I do think there's a lot of challenges, but I think people are motivated, young people coming into the economy, coming into business, coming into government, coming into structures of power. They, they're optimistic that they understand that they're going to have to address these things. And I think they will. And so I'm, I'm optimistic. Like you say these five things are eco ecologically d driven or associated with, I think that that's, that makes total sense to me that it, it's unfortunate but i think that the it doesn't mean it's the end of humanity you know i i got i, I was i had the opportunity when i was doing corporate social responsibility to write an annual sustainability report and i you know some things in that have always rung true to me and that is you know to me the economy is a wholly owned subsidiary of the environment you everything that you Everything that the economy needs mm -hmm. to, to work, if it's a factory, if you think of it's a factory or a plant, mm -hmm. the, our entire economy, well, its supply chain is the planet. Right. And not just raw materials, but the, you know, to have clean air. air, to have clean water so you have an actual labor force, to have conditions. And 
you know, I think that people, um, unfortunately, our society has evolved in a way that people are disconnected from the natural mm -hmm. environment. And so they, yep, yep. And, but I do think that that connection is coming. People are recognizing that connection, not so much in a walk outside and be in nature, but in, in just understanding that the economy is dependent upon, and our social structure and fabric are dependent upon the ecology being sound, comforting, and not in havoc. Mm -hmm. um, question is, is, can we, are we gonna be able to react quickly enough, effectively enough um, to be able to not create too much havoc for ourselves and too much pain for humanity and the economy? Because the, they call it the, the natural systems, they'll, they'll wobble, mm -hmm. they're not gonna fall apart. Nope. I mean, what will fall apart is, you know, people saying hi to each other on the street <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and people being able to get clean water coming out of their tap. And, you know, that's those are the things that will fall apart. And uh, we need to I think we are recognizing it. And I, I again, I'd point back to this Larry Fink's, you know, newsletter. You he know, loves like, Larry's. OK, this is biased. <laughs> I, I, I think that he, I think he you know, he, that just to me says so much. The people that are managing that much money mm -hmm. are saying, hey, this, you know, we can no longer, the paradigm has shifted. We can no longer do this. And I don't mean to ramble, even though I am, but That's like, unbelievable. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that we're, it's all solved with electric cars. Right. Like, there's so many, there's so many impacts associated with the construction of an electric car, the mining of the materials, like, like all those things need to get figured out. But, you know, either we're going to go you know, back to a population of about 500 million humans and we're going to be an agrarian society or we're going to move forward in a way that allows us to minimize the impact on the environment but to sustain it, you know, the society that we have today. I don't think we're doing the, the first former. one. Yeah. I don't think that'll happen. I mean, I, 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 I'm pretty, I don't know if it shouldn't happen, but I don't think it will happen. Right. Uh, I'm more uh, optimistic, even though I'm not, you know, consider I wouldn't consider myself an optimistic person. Uh, I'm more optimistic that'll happen. Yeah, I've noticed that we never, whatever that thing is, the going back to it never occurs because there's too much. Yeah. This we do this now we do this we add this thing and we try to work with, but it's kind of a good point. The Earth is sort of like a person who's like, they didn't communicate with a family member until one day they had a heart attack. Then after the fact, you're like, oh, I should have done this. I should do that. Right. That's something they woke up. And there might have been a few people along the way who were like, you should call them or some little things like that. And so there's usually a, like a whispering from life. And then there's like an after effect, like you got to do it or earth. And it got to the point where like, we can't just use all the water and air and everything without looking at what we're doing. It got to that point. Yeah. Yeah. It sort of reaches that. Have you liked any books over the years? Because we always talk about books. Um, or identified I wish with them it, yeah, in some I mean, way. there's a lot of books. I, I, I did. I really, the ecology of commerce was very impactful to me. Mm -hmm. um, it was. I can't remember who. It's a, the guy from Smith and Hawkins, um, Paul Hawken, mm -hmm. and uh, he's gone on. He's written a couple other things, but that was just like such an important book to me. Like just it. I think I've for, I've always been interested in business, mm -hmm. even though I was studying biology. Like I really found business interesting, and I just found it for the first time. Like that was something that I wanted to, you know, it, it just tied it together. Like you you can actually use business for the greater good, mm -hmm. and not to say that businesses aren't trying to do that, and, 
and there's been a big evolution around that but I just like yeah you know you can actually be that as your sole purpose um, uh, let my people surf by Yvonne Chouinard let my people surf yeah I've never heard of that book yeah that's by Yvonne Chouinard I mean he, it's more about their company culture oh uh, I, you know I'm, I'm a big rabid Patagonia fan um, and I think they've tried you know, in their own way they're doing what they can in a unique way and they've really integrated this whole idea of business having a purpose that's greater than just making money mm -hmm. into even much greater than that you know even customer service I think it's more about like you know we're going to do less bad and we're going to help enhance systems mm -hmm. um, so I think that's a good book um, one thing that just came, came to mind the yeah. business you mentioned I noticed that over the years I switched my idea because I used to have a view of business like there would be people in my local area or like in Glendale that go to do a business and I'd be like okay great like what are we but actually a lot of people over the time I noticed they would do a business give people something that they needed for some time and then at some point might transition into something that was good for humanity in some form so in some ways as long as they have that follow-up part they had a bigger picture view business as long as you have that bigger picture view it can be a wonderful thing I just didn't really think about that yeah. as much early on yeah yeah and that's the whole thing about purpose. What do you do after? Yeah. What are you planning for 10 years from now? Yeah. Or was it just to show off or something? Which usually it's right. not, actually. Right. Yeah, I think most times it's not. True entrepreneurs and founders, there's something much bigger that they're, that they're trying to do for, with successful businesses. You know, I'd say, uh, you know, two other books, uh, The Big Short. I don't know if people, I'm sure people have read that. I mean, I just thought that was, I, I've read a couple of Michael Lewis's books, and I thought that was just a fantastic book and really unique insight into what happened during the financial crisis and then the, the great unwind which was kind of the outfall of the financial crisis i can't remember it was a he's a writer for i believe the times hmm. and it just goes around to all these cities in the united states uh tampa where is ground zero for foreclosures oh. um las vegas uh, 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 uh not dayton ohio but uh Oh, there's another industrial city up there. It's just that it's closed down Detroit. Mm -hmm. You know, just how, what's going on in America at probably one, you know, in my lifetime, the worst time in America, you know, 19, or I'm sorry, 2008 through 2010. I mean, it was, it was, it was bad. Crunch. In the United States. Yeah. yeah. And really hurt a lot of people. And, and it's taken 12 years for a lot of people kind of get to get back and above where they were at that time. Right. Some people still haven't, but um, he went in and really got to know these people. There's one guy in the in the book where he's following. He has this, you know, biodiesels. The here's the answer to get America out of this, and he's in from North Carolina, right, running a truck stop, and he tries to, you know, convert it over to biodiesel. It's a great, great story. It's nice to have that view. It's, the passion part is nice, and then usually in life when it's like this is the solution, it's not usually just that. I've noticed that theme where if something looks like the solution to all things, it's probably not. But if you have passion for something, you can probably connect that with things you're doing. We don't usually have like a one thing that just somebody is, their self-esteem is once again back to normal or um, like a certain electrical new battery type that is the solution to all batteries and we're good right. forever. But it's the, There's no silver bullets. Yeah. <laughs> right. There are there aren't. If there's, if it, it People think they have a silver bullet. They've got the wrong answer, is my belief. 
and I've tried, I've it, in my capacity at earlier in my career when I was doing corporate social responsibility stuff, when I tried to get a silver bullet through, mm -hmm. I could get it through the, you know, I can get it engaged, but it did not have the impact because it, it, it just, it, it doesn't, it, any simple answer, it's a complicated system. A, a company, a business is a complicated system. It's a biological, you know, I, that's, that's the other thing. I think by studying biology, I have it, I think I have it, as a result, I can practice kind of systems evaluation and look at things from a systems perspective. And y y these systems that are complicated, you just can't just throw like a very simple answer to it. So then you, so you think about like society and our economy. I mean, you can't get much more complicated than that. So you, you, I think you try to, hopefully you can get some big steps forward, but you recognize that you didn't go pro you won't go as far as you think you will and you might even be taking a couple stuff back for some people when you do these things i've thought about this in terms of like a web if you're one person and you suddenly want to out succeed everybody around you just by yourself and you're not pulling the web with you at all it doesn't work and then same thing if you don't include all the variables with something and this is the one solution it's not connected right. it has to be connected if it's connected then it has to pull on everything it wouldn't just be the one solution there'd be like five right. solutions together working together it just and can't and, and yeah, and if you do connect all those things, you've helped hard, right? That takes all kinds of. <laughs> it's super hard. That's it's a lot a, of people energy. Yeah, it is, and it's that's again, that's yeah, it's there's the old adage, nothing good in life comes unless it's hard. I, I mean, there's a reason that that's it. I mean, it, it it's hard. You have to pull the whole collective up, yep. Yep. as you, from where you are. Yep. So it's not you're pulling you, you're pulling you and like hundreds of people. Yeah. Like a thread. Or pushing. Right, pushing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come with me. <laughs> You're saving people's lives. Yeah. This is one thing I always like to check. What is, if you had to describe to all people on the planet with a megaphone, <laughs> what is one or a couple of sentences you would tell them about what you would want to know about what you do or um, are passionate about? Um, this one always tough. Challenge all yeah. day. So if I was you saying if I was to stand up in front Megaphone, of the world and 7. say hey, billion people, introduce yourself or well it would be like, like what's important to me yes what's important to me and yeah. all of us from what I have done this will sound a little sappy but it's not cynical and I hope people don't take it that way I mean the first thing I would say is like like let's let's all be kind to each other mm -hmm. like gotta we need to get back to that and. and some of this is driven on just things I've read and listened to recently. Like I just think we really do need to recognize there's not, there's really not a lot of bad people in the world. Right, you like know, a warm energy. I, I just heard a story. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you people will do the most amazing things for you when you when you have an opportunity when they have an opportunity to help you and when you're in a bad place. Now there are some bad people, so I think that, I mean that's the first thing. Like just recognize the people around you are they all want good things, and just we need to be kind to each other. Mm -hmm. The second thing I would say is, you know, uh, I'm here because I really want to try and address the issue around climate change, and I'm doing it the best way I can, and that's going to be focusing on renewable energy. And if you if you want to be involved in that or you have any questions about that, you know, let me know because I'd like 
I'd welcome the opportunity to try to you know broaden our tent and get more people in it. I think I don't think that's needed because I think people are running into the tent. But uh, that's what I probably see to the to the that's, world. That's a wonderful <laughs> message. It made me think, by the way, of also what do you think of Greta Thunberg or the individuals that are really vocalizing? I'm little and my planet is getting destructed. I I think I mean I can't one the, I mean. You can people can criticize her, and she got criticized. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, which I okay, if that's what people want to do, that's probably not being very kind. I'm gonna go attack a 12 year old tomorrow, <laughs> actually. Looking but forward to it. The audacity and courage of that person mm -hmm. is I can't even fathom it. You know, I mean, she, she is just her and other people like her are like, you know, no, and that's what I'm saying. These are. These are the signs to me that people that are going to be coming into power, people that are coming into um, the economy as participants in it, like they're just not going to like they're saying that's it's not your future anymore. It's mine. Mm -hmm. You know, you're taking not, some responsibility for right. it. Right. And, and I just think, you know, I think all, we need that. I love it. I mean, I actually I mean, that pumps me up personally. Like I just like I'll just say, fuck, yeah. You know, when I when I hear that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But when. It, but I, uh, but I just personally can just not believe it. Like I could never do that. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm gonna be more in the background, you know, fifth row, push, mm -hmm. pushing forward, cool. try, trying to make things happen. But I think it's great. I think it's very, I think it's a very positive thing. The only thing I would say was negative about it is kind of some of the reaction that came, which wasn't, right. wasn't kind. Right. That's part of the kind of pulling up thing. The negative reactions is part of the. I've noticed when I get comments online that are negative, rarely or something like that, it's actually. I just ignored and I talked positively back to the people and afterwards they were glad. They just kind of wanted some sort of warmth in society or in life to yeah. reach for. Yeah. They didn't know how else to. So when they're actually, when you're getting negative feedback or when she does, it's like, that's when the change was actually made in those individuals. It's like a parenting in its way. I think about it. Like, uh, she'll do something. There'll be negative feedback, which doesn't make sense. She's a 15 year old saying right. stuff. Right. But actually, it was that person reflecting on themselves, talking about what they are internally. Right. And then after a couple of times, they usually like some of those people become their big fan. You right. Know? right. 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 So it's a little uh, negative feedback is actually almost like a intro to your supporter or teammate. Well, and any any system needs a, a feedback loop. Like right. any any functional good system has to have a feedback loop, and mm -hmm. so you, you don't want to inhibit that. Um, you would help it. You would hope that it would be. Even negative feedback can be given in a positive way. Mm -hmm. Right. That's true. Yeah. Taken warmly. Right. Doesn't have to be. Yeah. And so, and that, and, and I think, you know, and the thing is, it's not going to matter to her. She's going to, she's going to go out there and just nail right. it. You know, that's true. You know, seven days a week. So I, I, I think, yeah, I think I, that's encouraging. And I just think it's amazing. I, I couldn't even imagine. I, mean, I right. couldn't imagine. I wouldn't do it today. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it is a statement. Yeah. I saw when it was talking about how she would like get outside of a building and just by herself for like I don't know months or something and just her or her two friends. It's nice when people do anything. I always applaud when someone something like yeah. And and not the group thing is nice and when there's like ten thousand people, but I always look at like who started what where the because those first people is the like cowboy over the hill that gets the arrows right. shot at them. That's the to me that's the cool people like okay arrow no big deal right. Or if it kills me okay at least like got hit doing this something Did it, right versus passing time and and not so i always applaud that uh fearlessness and like response to reality yeah. 
But I think I, I my, my reply to that would be not everyone's going to be that cowboy. Right, right. No, not everyone. You don't can, need four thousand. But, but you don't need to be. No. But you don't need to be. No. You can be. You know. You can be the person that saddled the horse. Right. You know. It's just as important. The fifth row of cowboys. Right. <laughs> the fifth row of cowboys. <laughs> We're here. Right. Yeah. Right there. I right. think there's plenty of leaders. I mean, I don't. Right. I don't think. I think there's a lack of leadership. Okay, but I think there are plenty of leaders available. Huh. Um, Let's go away. And I think that I think that it's just a matter of, in her case, she has she, she has the ability and and just unbridled mm. desire to do what she feels is important. I think that's great, and that's and she shows leadership every day doing that. Sometimes it takes people to take something to happen for people to show that same type of leadership. I mean, I, I don't know this, but I would assume like uh, around tragic events like Superstorm Sandy, 9-11, uh, Katrina, people probably did things that they never thought in their life oh, they yeah. would have done. You know, it, not, not that day, but for the next month or year because they felt like, you know, like, no, this is important to me and nothing's going to stop me. And so it will, sometimes it takes actions to make people do that. Mm-hmm. But I think the important thing is just like everyone, you don't have to be her to be able to do something to make a difference on the issues that are important to you. Right. Little things. Yep. Here, there, local. Yep. Jay-Z had but a quote. Be, but goes, be kind. Be kind along the way. Uh, he had a quote one time, I think I mentioned it before, but he said, there's much bigger issues in the world I know, but I first had to take care of the world I know. So, you know, huh. you're yeah, local. Yeah, yeah. Big yeah. is good, but. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't start without local. Yeah, it's almost it's impossible to go big without ignoring your local and going big. I, right, there's no way to do it. Right, you have to build up a web like right. that thing and then pull from it. Yeah, yeah, and and even when you do go big, you better go local because there's still your. Right. right, it's not a made up thing. Like you're big is because the people are. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of influencers now that they have some sort of big. So that's a good feature. Yeah, it is a little different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One thing. For variety purposes, what is one question you have for the host? Who is me? I've thrown this in once in a while for variety purposes. Uh, why, no, why are you doing? Why are you doing podcasts? I'm really interested because I, I, mm-hmm. I, I know I just find it interesting that people are. I mean, it's obviously become an art, art form or a media form that is kind of democratized, which mm-hmm. is nice. But why did you? Yeah, I have a few reasons. I have way too many answers on these things. So I'm like, but. but uh, some of the key ones are most I like to connect with I don't want to describe in a way that just makes uh, the individuals seem more than others but those who maybe have something to say or logical insight or experience in a field I like to connect with a certain crew there's some more thought in place uh, people I mesh with and so far I can just tell kind of that's one Two is to it build it, it creates something I think it's super cool because it creates something that is there. A lot of times over the years maybe I would have had a conversation and it's gone. And it was gold. And it's just gone. So it's not I don't think that's cool. <laughs> it just disappears. Right. And then it's not uh kept and there's value there, especially when uh, two, you know, passionate people or interesting or in some way insightful connect there's something great there in my mind so i don't like that to go to nothing right right that's not my thing because then it's just almost like time passed and there was no but if if it is remains there's sometimes people let's say tim ferris you might know him or others they post 
videos or stuff online, you can watch that a year from now and right. it gives you some value or right, get, right. Uh, connects back to your life. That part's cool. It builds something. Um, many of my guests authors, so I read their book, I take notes, I like to connect with the author, so it's like an expansion of the book. There's quite a few reasons. It, can, can I ask you another question? Yes. Uh, I'm sorry I, to be interviewed, it's yeah, ridiculous, but. <laughs> I got a couple actually. Okay. So wh how would you, wh what techniques do you use? Mm -hmm. Are you just free flowing or do you, you have a agenda as you come in with each guest or? Uh, I, agenda is not really my thing. It's just, okay. I've never. Yeah. Do you have a list of questions? I mean, written or in your head or do you just wait for the response and build? Uh. At times earlier on, well, some of the books based on the chapters and some of the subheadings or things I'd bolded, yes, but not. It's not really my style because I have a general life framework, so it's not really my style to. I feel like it's connected to the things I already think about, and I I, I try to link with those because if I started, it's just not my style. Any time in life where I get too uh, structured or planned. I sound like somebody else, and that's not my form. And I like to connect with the things that are directly related. Maybe let's say you mentioned something and I link to that. Mm -hmm. I think that's cooler because it's like a network versus a linear. Mm -hmm. And But I, I usually have a, a few things I'm curious Sprinkling about. A couple. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and but it's actually curious about it. So they come to my mind, so I don't really have to keep too much track of them. Yeah, I usually think about that in life most of the time. If I have to do too much tracking or planning or bullet points or something, then it's not really me. And like some other guy, John, would be great at that. Right, right. But right. I like the like network effect. And then usually over time, anything I would have thought of that was cool or maybe that uh, the guest would have uh, uh, brought up related to that would have come up. Right. Our natural ways come up. I've thought about that in life. It's not like... I could sound like somebody else for that long. Right, right. It would just show up, right? Right. Uh, so that's a couple of things I think about. I don't really like the bullet points, but I have had bullet points at times to keep me structured. But even a few times when I did open my comedy, the first few times I wrote stuff, and then the la like the last time I just put like a couple words, and then I just started going, and I included audience members. Yeah. I like it to be at that moment, and then recorded kind of so that it can be seen but it's from that moment. Do you only do one-on-ones? Most, there has been a few one-on-twos, mm -hmm. which the first part of this episode was. Just <laughs> right, that's right. classic. We, so we forgot didn't break it. precedent there. Right, <laughs> that's classic. Just for that brief moment. But there has been a few, yeah, like um, Lucy and Jenny, one episode, they both work at Warner Brothers. So there was a, a share there. Uh, once there was two friends on. So a few times there have been two, but for the most part, it's always been one has been the norm or sometimes it was just me before but yes um so two more questions i love it this is the best episode ever <laughs> never forget 246 larry ruggiero armin shervanian um top three okay it's kind of two part question okay top three people you would like to interview that oh. you know you can get like right now or at some point let's say in the next two years and top three people I'm very you can probably never get and they could oh. they could be not with us any longer okay i'm gonna have to go with not with us any longer because my two questions say, though. Two yeah three, yeah okay. so the top three that i within two i'm super optimistic but two years i still have realistic understanding of time so that i could get within two years 
I don't know. Some people that come to mind would be maybe in the category of like maybe I don't know if he comes out with another Robert Greene. Okay. Uh, he wrote some cool books. Um, that could be with the two. Some of the people in my category, like I used to write personal development site in 2008, 9, 10, 11. Some of those individuals have still continued. There's like Lewis Howes and uh, Tom Bilyeu is great. He's really focused like me. So kind of like that. It might be a stretch for two years with Tom Bilyeu and um, the general that category. Okay. And then it's, which would be great. I, I see it occurring. And some other scientists that I haven't yet been able to, they might put out a book within a year or two and there'll be a good time to reach right, out. Right, right. They're great. And the three that are, I'd have to go with not with us because I would believe I can get anybody at some point. Shout outs to Jay-Z at some point. <laughs> others. I, if he's not on my show at some point, among others, it won't make sense. You think you think in your lifetime Oh yeah. you could get Obama? Sure. Okay. And great. it's not just in, in my head. It's not like, can I get them? In my head, it's like, it's a loss if it doesn't occur. I have okay. good insights that I just don't see. I see an interview, I'm like, that's missing, that's missing, oh, that's no, missing. Oh, no, I agree with that. Yeah. Like, let's yeah. not, Yeah. it's not for me. At that point, it's not even for me. Whoop-de-doo, they're great. I'm sure they're great. Okay. But like, it would be not good for the audience because that would have never happened. That's okay. the way I think about it. Okay. Opportunity loss. So uh, those that you those that you can't, you would want to interview, but you can't. Oh yeah, Top so three. they're no longer here. That's a tough one. I don't look at too many past people, but I'll throw in just for entertainment purposes because he's the only one I thought of as far as philosophers right now. Marcus Aurelius because he has a meditations book, pretty good. Hmm. Throw him in there. Uh, not with us. Who else is not with us? That is. That's funny. When people pass, I don't usually think too clearly. You know. Also, that's a, related to that. I always think about every person who's alive right now has more power than Martin Luther King mm -hmm. and Gandhi mm -hmm. and whoever the top leader they're not they're not they don't exist anymore you can move your hand they can't move their hand so if that doesn't motivate everybody I don't know what does hmm. you know what I'm saying like we, yeah, yeah. they're just gone <laughs> they can't you have more power than whoever uh, and then that's one can't because they're gone some of the people I think about some of the people that passed in recent years just because their contributions but just, I just think about that. I'm not sure that I would focus on them, but uh, rapper Nipsey Hussle was cool. He had some good insights. Huh. Uh, Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park would have been neat for the music perspective and uh -huh. his life thoughts. Uh, science side? You are from science. Oh, that are gone. Oh, Richard oh. Dawkins. Uh, not Richard Dawkins. I might have at some point Richard Dawkins. Charles Darwin Yeah, would be good because he's like uh, the Richard Dawkins of today is the Charles Darwin of then. And so this guy is my favorite, the selfish gene he wrote in like 1976. So right. that's my favorite into the science field. But I guess Charles Darwin. Okay. And like the mathematicians, but not really, because I can't really connect with, they did a bunch of right. formulas. Right. What Leibniz and all that. I, I don't right. link as much to that. But more of the scientists and then some of the early psychological work. But a lot of them are alive, the people that I connect with. So they should all be on there. Daniel Kahneman, I once messaged him, but it was too late. He said he was done doing interviews for... Thinking Fast and Slow, his really popular book. But right, right. he would have been great to have on. So those are a few okay. that kind of um, Who do you... Best interview ever! <laughs> Larry <laughs> Topgast what are your, in the what are your, uh, What are the... Uh, who do you think does... I'm voting for Larry. <laughs> who do you think does the best interviews right now? Or are they... Not even right now, like that you've seen, even if it's in the past. Huh. Well... Because I, I, too, too, like I'll listen to interviews. Mm-hmm. 
I personally, I'm an I'm an ear person. Mm-hmm. I'm an ear, and I have to see it to learn it the best. Mm-hmm. I can I don't need it, but it's I do it better that way. I see it, and I hear. I'm more text. And uh, I mean, I hear interviews all the time, and I'm like, well, you, you, you forgot that, you know. So, but the, the, not that I could ever do an interview. I just I just think that I don't know if other people think that all the time. But you being an interviewer, I assume you would look at people and, and listen to them and know ones that are good. So who is that? A very good point, by the way, that you just brought up makes me think of those that are, it's way more likely to have that response when they're linear. Cause they're like, okay, mm-hmm. on the way to the next question, yeah, yeah. on the way. And you're like, but you didn't connect back to the- Right, right, I guess yeah. I, yeah, I die sometimes if it's the wrong time and they cut off a person that was about to say, you know, they were gonna say some great insight and then they jump to the next and you're like, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah. thanks. We have to wait for the next interview, I guess. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, I like, well, a few, I don't really, that's funny thing. I don't really analyze the interviewers so much. I know some of the other ones that do it. Like I mentioned, Tom Bilyeu, he does interviews on uh, impact theory. And then there's Lewis Howes on his, the school of greatness. So some of these guys, I kind of know them. I think of them as my like local people. I don't know them personally, but they kind of were writing articles these last many years and blogs. Uh-huh. I like the interviews that do what you just described where um, they let the insight come out and they connect to it and they follow up on it like depth yeah. versus they get to these baseline questions that I don't get anywhere. I'm really about the insight and the understanding and depth. And if it's missing, then it's almost like nothing happened the whole time. So yeah. I, I can't, yeah. can't watch those. Some of the TV ones, I watched like a bunch of Craig, oh, Craig Ferguson when he would do his late night show. Oh, really? He's I, great I, with people. Was he? Was he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he would... He had some skill. He talked about him a few times. Like no matter who they were, he treated them the same, and he was great at connecting with everybody. You could see that he would respond to them if they had a thing that they, a little glimmer or an insight or something. The best interviews, they're like, oh okay, and they join in on that, and he would make it light natured, and he would. I can't believe how I, I can't imagine how hard that is because you're actually, you're in a room with about 120 other people. Mm-hmm. And you're actually supposed to be entertaining them. Right. And you're trying to carry on and be present with that person and give a conversation. Or I would think, like, you know, I think of, I don't know if she, I think she's good, is Terry Gross. I think she's a pretty good interviewer. But she's always doing interviews. Either person might not even be on the studio with her. And it's always one-on-one. And it, it just seems like it would be much more personal and easier to connect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The funny thing is, that makes sense to me. But the, my mind went straight to I'm built for the Craig Ferguson kind because I'd randomly link in like random person. Yeah. Can you believe Larry said this? Right, right, right. Or something because I just like uh, – in my head, there's always 18,000 people around. <laughs> That's, like I'm shocked there's not, frankly. What's with, There's nobody sitting on these stairs. There should be like a crowd trying to get They're in. Upstairs. Like You guys trying – oh, right. <laughs> you can come down later after for signatures. Uh, it's not like uh, come back, come back. I have to create technology here. Got it. Uh, unless I have killed technology. Uh, one second. Shout outs. We are in the future. Always in life. Just go with things. Things will occur. Boom. Okay. Boom. You gotta be smooth in these days. If this was like a year ago, this would have thrown me off. I would have been like, oh my gosh. This is a key thing in life. That's a very important message just to take from that. The level of your skill is tied to how easily or what level you're thrown off at. That's your experiences. It. It's yes. just that. Because maybe a year ago, I would not like, my ears are red. And right. 
what am I gonna? But it's not such a big deal in the bigger. Picture. You had those eighteen thousand people. Eighteen thousand people. If you are something, it'll show through regardless of little details. Yeah. But the the if you have a vision, I was gonna say, it is guaranteed to. Not guaranteed, but like that's all. The world goes toward your vision, barring any like you are ended. Because that's all we have is our energy towards something. If you and many others don't have an energy towards improving energy conditions on the planet, then there is no movement in that direction. Right. It's just, it's not, that's where it, it's the will of that internally. Yep. And so I always envision 18,000 in the audience. Hmm. You gotta give me another name though of interviewers that you, oh. that you. So yeah, the boom. Uh, I like some of the famous ones. Uh, late night shows, most of them not. Yeah. I can't connect with them. Like Jay Leno, no. Like he's more of a regular uh -huh. person. He's, yeah. he's nice natured, but I'm not going to get much insight. Yeah. Um, Bill Moyer? Bill Maher is... Moyer. Moyer? Yeah. Do you know him? No clue. Okay. He's TBS. He's, <laughs> I was like, let me turn into He's a like journalist. Him. Bill Moyer. I mean, I've heard the name. Yeah. He's, he actually people. does pretty good journalism. He does, I think he does decent interviews, but I don't know if he's good or not. Moyer? Yeah, that's cool. Um, and then uh, anybody who is more adaptive to the person they're with and doesn't like the judge and doesn't include like uh, those questions that like news people yeah. would ask, like, so what do you think you're doing this for? Or those kinds of that tone, yeah. I, I would never, right. I just don't enjoy it because underneath it is like, uh, just go back in your little box. Yeah, I, yeah, you still haven't given me a name now. Yeah, <laughs> best interviewer number one. Because it's like, no, no, but I didn't uh, sell uh, these petroleum to the economy. You, we're going to pin you down right here. This is a good point. Let's see. In the terms of. I mean, do you, what podcasts do you listen to that you want to listen to because of the interviewer? Um, I do. In, that's funny, but the, my brain doesn't focus so much on the interviewer as much mm. as the guest or the interviewer. I think of them as like people on my same same wavelength, but I don't really look at what they do, which I kind of could do more of. Uh, Lewis House is pretty warm natured, and then what other good podcast? There's not so many interview podcasts, but there are actually. That's funny. I don't. Even, I usually focus on the people they have or the story. Mm -hmm. Third story, yeah. Uh, Tim Ferriss definitely is. Um, I've noticed some of the popular interviewers; they're very like, um, like inquisitive. Not inquisitive, but they're very interested in the topic. Jocko Willink is the popular Navy SEAL guy. Hmm. His his interviews are really like, "What's your goal? What's the right. procedure?" Right. Regimented. It's not exactly my style. I like when there's more of a light nature yeah it's i mean it's you gotta imagine like you if you are a if you're somebody who does interviews people for a living and, mm -hmm. you're, and you're actually paid to do it mm -hmm. in in regards to like npr or journalist or something like that you probably have people that come through that just do not even want to be there oh that's true in that world yeah yeah and it's just like you're like, oh. <laughs> like this is the third stop today you're number two right like, i got a movie coming out or i wrote this book and and so and you want to try to i mean their challenge is how do you get personal right and how do you like lay um a foundation where they can i, I think probably the best interviews are someone the person being interviewed talks for 
in a minute without the interviewee or interviewer -er, uh, saying anything because yeah, then they don't know where they're going and they're kind of you can just kind of add on to that mm -hmm. you know kind of thing there's one guy Srinivas he was a writer when I was a writer What's Srinivas is his first name okay Srinivas Rao and he, he has the unmistakable creative podcast huh. with like 700 episodes but he was writing articles when I was writing articles like in 2008 9 10 11 and actually I once was gonna guest post on his site long ago but he one thing that he does well in all his interviews is that he asks people like um how did their parents impact them mm. he looks at the lineage and then his questions are great uh, i can't pin it down to a category but he he goes into a category of checking how they got their creativity um kind of what they stand for certain categories that i value usually people go into certain categories that they value and that's what their interview style is let's say larry king when he interviews he'll do a little bit of like Let's say it's a Snoop Dogg in a show. So what's with all the weed smoking? It'll be kind of like... Right. He represents sort of society, like kind of... Right. What are you doing this for? Or he asked Dan Bilzerian, what's with all the women in all your posts? And he's like, kind of like... It's not going to be as much like why as much as like what. Right. right. And I like to focus on the what. Huh. Or the, the why. Not never the what. But the why. The basis behind things. Because once I, I see the intention or the thoughts... The rest of it doesn't, like, if you ate a sandwich earlier or not, it doesn't right, right. change. Interesting. I look at people's uh, vision. That's all I see, almost. I ignore all the other stuff. But sometimes, you know, people post the food they eat and then where the place they went. And right. To me, you just, you went somewhere and then you ate fuel and then, the, but right. what are you? Right. I look at where, what do you want to be the case? Because that's the future. Right. Right. Yeah. Do you have any uh, favorite interviewer? That you would like watch or listen. Uh, I do like I did like Bill Moyer. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't heard I haven't watched him in a really long time. Mm -hmm. I, I do think Terry Gross is good, but there's times I'll be yelling at the, you know, the iPhone saying you didn't ask this, didn't ask this. Right. Um. I think, uh, you know, people are, will take this different ways, but I think Howard Stern's actually mm -hmm. can be a pretty good interviewer. Uh, probably he's gotten even a little bit better as he's gotten older. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of put some of the other stuff on the side that that made it so extravagant. And I think he's he has you know he's older, so he comes from a different perspective now. He's definitely courageous. You know, will ask anything, and but he also he he's able to connect. I think he does really connect with the people that he's interviewing with. Like he's right there with him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One time I talked to some people in uh, downtown LA when I was there. And I was doing interviews, and then I asked about them, and they are like, we love Howard Stern. I thought Howard Stern was done. I thought he had stopped, but apparently he had moved to his own radio station. Yeah, and satellite. Continued securely. Yeah. And I was like, how come I have not seen him at all? Like, I see nothing about him on social yeah. media anywhere. Apparently, yeah. he's doing well in his lane, but I see nothing anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. But he's got his niche. But they love him. One of them was like, he's my favorite. Yeah. He's been doing it for a long time. I saw some of his old interviews when I checked. I watch a lot of YouTube old interviews of different people. Yeah. I really like the insights of, even if a person's a soccer player, sometimes, not really, but I, I really like to look for whatever level of insight a person brings. That's all I can connect with. Because the things they did or the places they went, it doesn't... I went to Rome. I can't... Right. I can go to Rome. Oh, that's the... I have to bring up this topic. I never like to think of anything where it's like an audience member versus the person on the stage. Because the audience member, you could put anybody in their position like sitting there and it doesn't change the whole show but if you change the person on the stage it changes the whole so mm -hmm. show 
So I uh, I always like to identify with uh, personal mistakes. Yeah, because if I'm in the audience in something, I didn't need to be there. I get it for the consumption of something, but but interesting though because you also said though when you are in the audience, mm-hmm. you kind of at times will be being the interviewer because you're wondering why a question isn't asked. Right, my head's still jumping. Yeah, but. Yeah. If I was just there and I'm watching the Backstreet Boys or something. Yeah, you couldn't, you would not be uh, uh, possible, but productive right. to, to actually try to be, satisfy the audience. Uh-huh. You got to hope that your curiosity will will lead to something that provides insight and that would be, other people will find that valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always have the vision that it is. Any vision you have, it shows up at some point. Sure. You believe in yourself, it shows up at some point. There's a lot of good insights to it. But it takes a long-term belief. If, if not a hundred people believing in a environmental project ten years down the line, other people don't get that nice thing. Later on, people will just be like, "Oh, we got these great they're wind farms that provide power." You know what it took to no? We just we have that. Right, right, right. For the audience. Yeah, yeah. At that point, in that regard, yes, completely. Yeah. I it's yeah. I like that your one statement that you made about like uh, kind of codifying this, putting it in digital form for history mm-hmm. and, um, or at least until the servers go down. <laughs> the servers are boiling <laughs> thanks to the planet boiling. No, I mean, it, it, that is, I mean, I, uh, there was a, I think there's somebody in Ojai actually. That, That's you. Okay. We are in Ojai. No, there's, there's this guy in Ojai that he actually goes around and he, I can already tell this thing is a smart idea for some reason. No, I think it's, I mean, I do think it's a smart idea. I find it interesting. And he goes around and he meets with people when they're still, you know, relatively healthy, but old and, and documents their life for them. Yeah. Like through rate, through interviews. Mm -hmm. And then they'll come back and I think they make a, I think they make like a video with the interview, like almost like a, not a movie, but a documentary. Mm Mm-hmm. So that their children and their children, children and forever will know about, you know, Nona, mm-hmm. you know, forever. Right. And they'll, they'll be able to say like, oh, I didn't know that, you know, they, that they actually came through Ellis Island, you know, but it's Ellis Island. And you know, it, it, I think it's a really great idea. Um, and, and he has a business. I don't, I, he had a business doing it. I don't know if he still does it. Mm-hmm. It, to me, it's like I, I look at the opportunity there, like the stories. So a lot of times I like young people, really young because they're energy of life, but they don't have scenarios. Yeah. They just didn't do things. So that part, it's completely uninteresting to me versus people who this battle, I tried this, I went there. They did like 50 things that you're like, if I did any of those things, it would be a cool thing. And it was just part of their background that yeah. it's just there. And then they have the insights from it. They just walk around with the insights from it. And if nobody goes and does what he does, it just disappears. And then at the funeral, people are just like, oh, she was great. You know nothing. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't check right. on. Right. A lot of times people pass away. And then afterwards, there's 200 people showing up. Right. Like 20 of them want something that that person had. 40 of them pretend they knew them better than they did. It's all this weird stuff that if you, like a year ago, what was that? What was it? So I don't like to do the after effect. Right. Thing. Or after a heart attack, then oh, now I'll talk to them. Or after the, now, I'll just, yeah, where I were you? Why, why were you not there? Any of that? The extent, like, there's months and months and months. If 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 not there, then it doesn't count as actual work. 
Have you have you ever gone back and interviewed any of the people that you've previously interviewed? Oh, this is a wonderful thing. So, I have had a couple of uh, repeats. Gary, my friend, singer songwriter, he's been on a couple times, and then Mary from Scotland has been on a few times, and she also brought her friend Eve from Estonia, who's a dancer, on on one episode, so that's nice. But Cameron Porter, in a recent episode, he was a major league soccer player before he got an injury, hmm. but now he's a founder funder in New York. I'm gonna probably have him on next. December, I had him on this last December, and he talked about how if he had a podcast, he would do what you just described, where he would have someone on, and then a year later to see the delta between then the changes, progression, and you can, there's more to pick up from that, in his view, yeah. than just a one time thing, which makes sense. People have a, you know, there's a progression, in yeah. life, and you can yeah. see growth and what worked out with you. Or, I, I, I just heard uh, this was good. Uh, it was on a, what's his name? Tim Ferriss did, mm -hmm. did a podcast with somebody, and this person journaled. Uh -huh. they, they've journaled since they were thirty years old, and they're sixty three now. And and they said that uh, I was about to brag about journaling since two thousand thirteen. Yeah, and 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 this person said like maybe five days. I have not written in my journal, and, and like and I was just amazing. So, but the real amazing thing was they start their morning off journaling. And then they read 10 years ago, five years ago, oh. and one year ago. And he, the person said it was like time traveling. Like they could actually, you know, and this person was really into the idea. I mean, fascinated by time travel, the idea of time travel. And that it actually gave them the opportunity to be back where they were and, and, they know where they are today and it just gave them that sense of, of time that they didn't normally have. And this person looked at time, time was moving so rapidly in their life. And, um, it, for him, it helped slow down time. This is very valuable to me because I have Evernote journal from 2013 until now, pretty much most days and similar to that. And lately I've been organizing my other notebooks so they could be more active versus just stuff that's just there. And then now that makes me think of, I'll start, uh, going back like five years, four years, because it's all there. I was wondering, like, hmm, there might be some. There it is. And you're speaking yeah. to me from yesterday. <laughs> yeah. And good. to do like to do it every day, so that it's five years ago, one day yesterday. So you knew it's like you're actually. You can't think of it just what you're reading that day because you're connecting the whole five years ago for the last week. Right. Is so you're really living that time back mm -hmm. then? So yeah, I find that interesting. I, I don't journal. I wish I did. It's, I think it's a failure on my part. If you did it, would you write or would you type? I, that, yeah, I I would probably have to type mm -hmm. um, because it just I don't have enough time to do it. If I write, and I, my writing is terrible. I did I journaled one time in my life, and it was when um, I was I was on a long trip, and I do go back and I read those journals, and it is it is fascinating to do that. But I can barely read them because my handwriting is just terrible. If that's not a message to journal once more, the fact that you, the one time you did journal, yeah. you look back at, I don't know what it is. Yeah. No, you, I think, yeah, we should, that's part of being, we, we'll, we'll all be kinder if we journal. Right. <laughs> I think we would. It gives you perspective. You got to talk to yourself. Yeah. You have some. Uh, not be so hard on yourself. Right. Yeah. yeah. But, but start reading. You should read, read your history. And, and so, right. Yeah, I think it would be a, on a regular basis besides just journaling. I don't know. Maybe. I was thinking I would want to bring it back in some form, that one, and now I got it, a way to do that, 
there's so much written. I couldn't actually read all my stuff from the past six. There's way too much. It's like disturbing amount. So it'd be nice to like one day look at it. Do you, do you write or do you type? It's I type. Yeah. But then I like I'll write. Sometimes I'll just write stuff I'm doing that I have to do. Yeah. Little things. Yeah. Then I'll write some quotes or a note, and then right. something I read, and then it ends up being a jumble of things. But it's cool to me. It's cool. And then if it fits you, that's your. Yeah. Right. So five years ago, he, I can't do what he did with the the, the time distance. But I, I'm gonna look back forty years ago, twenty and ten. Wait, I don't have anything forty. I don't have anything twenty. I don't have anything ten. But I did have written journals a little bit when I was younger. You did, yeah. Just a few, and you look back at those. Uh, but way, way more type. Yeah, I use yeah. Evernote, and then it's on my phone too. So then I can. It's on your phone. Yeah, yeah so I have Evernote on here. Yeah, I got a. I've heard about Evernote. I've got a. Is that it's one of those? Is, is is there an app that you can save stuff in that you've read? That's like, a, that's Evernote, Evernote too. That. You can just put like a, like an article. Online. That one's popular. Yeah, it has Evernote Web Clipper. Uh-huh. Where like you take something and boom. Okay. It's like built for that. I don't do that actually almost at all. But that's a popular thing people use it for. Like that single article thing. Boom, boom, and then or they put like to read later or right. Yeah. Evernote. That's Evernote. Mm-hmm. Also. Yeah. Okay. That feature is way more popular than what I use it for. I think the thing I use it for is almost nobody does, like, I put the date, and I put the date for the past six years, and then I just write, like, a note. I call it daily note. So that's your journal? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll just write stuff. Could you do that on your laptop and then import it into your... Uh, this is minutia. Import it no, to where? The, the dozens of listeners aren't going to enjoy this at all. <laughs> they love this. Import it to where? Could you import it from your laptop into Evernote on your phone? Or is it, I guess it's, it's both. It's cloud. If I type it on here. Got it. And I sync it on there. Right. Sorry. No. Sorry. Classic. Come on. This is 2020 out of here. Things are just linked. It's all right. Okay? <laughs> if I say words, some banker in Mongolia hears my words. This For is sure. the connectedness of For sure. Actually, that's one of the less, uh, so many topics. But one topic I always think about is thanks to 2020 globalization, like the impacts of people in some area chewing more gum, or in a country chewing more gum, is that some other city in Nigeria is short on water because their gum facility, like I'm trying to make some linkage, but it's a little odd because there'll be certain just chunks of the world that dry up because something wasn't done way far away from them. But those same people, probably it was propped up by people using whatever that thing was for a period of time. So... You don't want to ever get too full of whatever some good fortune was in your life mm-hmm. because it came that quickly. Boomer bus. Yeah. 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 That is some good stuff. How would you rate this podcast as far as all the podcasts you've been on? Oh, this is the best one. This is the best one. Okay. By far. We're not going to ask how many you've been on. This is the best one. That's great. The Armin Show. You know, the ranking is off the charts. Larry, I would like to thank you for having been on episode 246 of the Armin Show. Why? Appreciate it. I hope it was all right. I mean, I'm not really sure what I just said, but uh, I appreciate <laughs> That's it. That's how good it was. Yeah, I appreciate the questions and I and the opportunity to ask you some questions too. So, yeah. Good luck with you on this. And I know you give, uh, I know my wife enjoys listening to your podcast and I'll add it to my, I'll add it to my <laughs> list. <laughs> that sounds good. She was on it too. That's she was on it too. Yeah. For a brief moment. This is wonderful. All right. And we are out.